So are we ready? As we read the Gospels, as each Gospel rises to its crescendo, as Jesus is tried, sentenced to death, crucified, in the second half of each of the Gospels, there's actually nowhere to hide. Everyone has to make up their mind about Jesus. Each of us has to make up our minds about who Jesus is. Is Jesus God or is Jesus an imposter? There is no middle ground. We see this pressure in the Gospels as Jesus' message gets harder and more real throughout the Gospel. We see so many of Jesus' followers falling away. We read in John's, chapter 20, John's Gospel, chapter 6, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Then there are those that absolutely had made up their mind about Jesus and they couldn't stand who Jesus was, what he stood for or what he was doing or saying. We read this passage from John chapter 11 straight after the raising of Mary's brother, Lazarus. Therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. I don't think he knew it, but what prophetic words he spoke. So from that day, they plotted to take his life. So some followed Jesus, but some followed the decision and direction of the priests and the Pharisees. Within a week of the time of our reading today, Palm Sunday, we will see another crowd pleading to Pilate for Jesus' crucifixion. So each person made a decision about Jesus. And this is what we're called to do today, here in 2022, to decide about Jesus. Here today in church, there will be a whole spectrum of beliefs and level of how committed each one of us is to following him. So putting ourselves in those Jewish shoes where they were only a week away from that weekend that would change everything, let's look at what we can learn from the recording of the events of that day 2,000 years ago as reported by Luke in chapter 19, verse 28 to 40. Now, during my talk, I will be referring to several Bible passages. And if you really would like a Bible, then do feel free to open one up or on your phone, or do ask the stewards, raise a hand and the stewards will bring you a Bible. There's some lovely uh, new Bibles as well, so let's just get those distributed. Now, basically, the passage that we're looking at from Luke chapter 19 is in three different sections. There's verse 28, which talks about Jesus going ahead of his disciples. There's verses 29 to 34, 
where the disciples collect a donkey donated to Jesus. And then there's verses 35 to 40, where the crowd of disciples worship. Each of these sections will teach us something else about the relationship between Jesus and his disciples then and his disciples now. So firstly, Jesus goes ahead of the disciples. In just one verse, we see something really telling. That's verse 28, our first verse. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. This is just after Jesus had told a parable that Luke, in verse 11 of our chapter, very helpfully tells us. He wrote, He went on to tell tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. Then he went up on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. This was Jesus' deliberate plan. The Gospels constantly remind us that Jesus' trajectory of ministry was categorically heading to the point at which Jesus would head to Jerusalem for what Jesus knew would be the last time. We see evidence of this in many places in the Gospel. But this morning, let me just raise some verses just from Luke's Gospel. Back in Luke 9.51, it says, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Then in Luke 13, verse 22, it says, Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. And then going on to 10 more verses later, so chapter 13, verse 33, Jesus says, In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Then explicitly in Luke 18, Jesus tells the disciples, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. And now we have that first verse of our passage today. He went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. Does this mean simply that Jesus was a little further ahead up the road of the disciples, sort of expecting them to catch up? Well, no, I think when we read it in conjunction with those other verses, we can see of Jesus' determination that now was the time when we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. How much were they really with Jesus on this route up to Jerusalem? And I have some sympathy for them. Jerusalem was a highly dangerous place for Jesus their friend who they loved. Maybe if if I was with them, then the going up to Jerusalem would have been the last place I would have wanted to go. But this is not about them. This is about Jesus. This is about everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. Peter understood this in those words we heard earlier when he said to Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. This has to happen. Jesus wasn't at this point going to slope off to some quiet part of Galilee to retire, having given some great teaching and now retiring because it was all getting a bit dangerous. No. 
everything that is written by the prophets and about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. The cross, the resurrection is the point. However ghastly the cross is, this is what Jesus Christ has come to do. Jesus, the Messiah, to take up his cross, to be nailed to it, God's rescue plan, with Jesus' full consent to save those disciples and you and me today. This is Jesus. Jesus changed everything. He, the Son of God, pure, holy, paid the price of dying as a criminal for every one of us. So what does this teach us? Well, firstly, we should never underplay the enormity of what Jesus did. If we don't keep Jesus' crucifixion as central to our prayers, to our worship, to our everyday life, we are really missing a major point. The danger the world falls into is to want to label Jesus as solely a great teacher or philosopher. He was far more. The next thing for us to learn is about us and flows from this point. Listen to those words from Jesus from Luke 9. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. He must be killed and on the third day be raised again to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? These words of Jesus are not easy. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. We must be ready for what he needs. Our crosses may not actually take us to our death, but it might. But this should be our attitude. Hear again those words from Peter. If Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, asks us, you do not want to leave, do you too? Can we say like Peter, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. This is extreme, but this is what he asks. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up their cross daily and follow me. <clears throat> if Jesus had had a marketing department, this would not have passed their approval as a message to the people. It certainly wouldn't have got through the focus group. But however difficult this is, this clearly is what Jesus is asking. In the years to come, all of the disciples would lose his life for following Jesus. All of them except John, who was banished to Pathos. They were all executed for Jesus' sake. All of them took up their cross because Jesus held the keys to eternal life. Does Jesus make this difference to your life? Am I someone who's holding on to my life with all my strength? Or am I someone who's trusting in Jesus to such an extent that I trust him with my very life? Let's continue with the passage and learn more. We get to the second section where the disciples collect a donkey donated to Jesus. 
In this second section, we see this scene where Jesus tells two disciples to go into the village where they'll find a colt, a donkey, tied there. And then when they untie it, Jesus says that they will be challenged by someone asking them what they're doing. They are to say, the Lord needs it. Well, I think what is going on here is that Jesus has prearranged this. It's quite likely that the donkey belonged to one of Jesus' followers. And this disciple has been asked by Jesus ahead of time to let him have his donkey to fulfill this important prophecy. And this is my next point. As well as how we consider our lives in the first point, Jesus asks us what value we place on our possessions. Here again, this is so challenging. What is our attitude to our possessions? Well, where do we think our possessions come from? This maybe is especially tough here in affluent Surrey. We work hard. We worked hard at school or university. Well, not all of us, but never mind. I'll go over that point. But we got through the exams, found a job, and supported our families. But where did this talent come from? Which doors were opened up for us along the way? How do we come to meet and marry our lovely wives or husbands? Who, who blessed us with our children? God has lavished us so much that sometimes I think we stop noticing his generosity. That doesn't mean that he, it'll always be like that, and life can be tough. But even then, we know God walks with us. So when we give to God, we're only giving back to him what he's given us in the first place. Old Testament teaching taught the Jewish people to give back to God 10% of what they have, a tithe. And many Christians today continue in joy and worship to use that as a guidance, but to give sacrificially back to God. And this is my second point, is our attitude to possessions that they are his anyway, so that it is with great joy that we are happy to use them for his glory. Our house, our car, our hospitality, our money, our time are all his. So this leads to my third and final section, verses 35 to 40. The crowd of disciples worship. When he came near the place where the, food, where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. How do the crowd of disciples behave? They worship, shouting, praising Jesus as King. Jesus was fulfilling the prophecy, Zechariah, from some 500 years earlier when he wrote, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Words written 500 years before. So who are in the crowd? the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God. These are men and women who've been following Jesus and now the time has come, the time when their king righteously and victoriously would ride into the capital, worshipping him, praising him. But there's a sting in the tail. Imagine in those days 
how a returning conquering king or emperor would enter in triumph into the capital city. They would ride on the grandest animal they could find. Emperors riding into Rome would choose a big black stallion or even a giant imposing elephant, both clad in battle armaments. But not Jesus. Lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is the last animal that a conquering world leader would have chosen. So Jesus is saying something very different. Jesus was coming to be humbled, to serve and not be served, to make the ultimate sacrifice, the agonizing, humbling criminal's death on a cross. Jesus riding on a poor donkey. Everything about this picture was wrong by the world's standards. And yet this crowd of disciples praised God. But again, over the next seven days, so many of them would fall away as Jesus was tried, whipped, nailed to that cross. So are these fair-weathered friends of Jesus? We just can't say. What these friends of Jesus were about to go through, we can barely imagine over the next seven days as they saw their world falling apart and unraveling. And yet, we know the end of the story. We know that Jesus did die, yes, but we know that he rose again from the dead and promised his disciples and us that he would be with us. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age, he promised, as recorded by Matthew at the end of his gospel. So whatever we've been through, are going through, or will go through, our Saviour, our friend, our Lord Jesus promises to be with us. And what shall we be our response? Surely to worship. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. Or if you allow me, can I make that a little more personal here? Rejoice greatly, daughter Claygate. Shout, daughter Surrey. Jesus longs for us to recognise these three things in him. Firstly, that Jesus makes all the difference to life itself, holding the very keys of life. So why do we hold on to life so preciously ourselves, relying on our own strength, when we are held so dearly and cherished by the God of the universe? Secondly, all we have is from him, and letting go of holding on to our, our possessions is a freedom that he longs to let us enjoy. And thirdly, so with confidence we can turn completely to him and simply worship him and accepting Jesus' promise of life in its fullest with and in him where nothing can separate us from his ever-giving love. Amen.